guys, and welcome to The Grow Podcast. We are so happy that you're here. I'm Ashley, your host through the monthly grain segment of the podcast, brought to you by The Grow Solution Center. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by John Sutterdahl and Mark Miner. John is the product and services leader here at Landis, and Mark is the chief investment officer here at Landis. Today, I really want to spend some time chatting with these two as we think about capital investments and bring to light some really, really cool projects that we are doing here at Landis and making our facilities and really thinking about the customer of tomorrow. So Mark, as the chief investment officer, you play a really big role in some of these capital projects. I would love for you to give our listeners just a little bit of how does this work? Give us a background on how these investment kind of decisions are made and the project and the process from like an idea to fully funded. Sure. Thanks, Ashley. Longtime listener, first time panelist, so <laughs> give it a go. Um, what we do on investments is we have three buckets we kind of look at. There's maintenance capital, what we call growth, and then there's acquisition. So in a perfect world, we're trying to serve the farmer. I mean, mm-hmm. that's our goal. That's what behind every decision we make. We look out three to five years on maintenance capital. Maintenance capital is one conveyor in, one conveyor out. You know, they look ahead. They realize that this leg is not going to make it for a few more years. Those are fairly straightforward. The board gets those on a regular basis. Growth capital is the bigger one. That's the larger things like Mitchellville, Yetter, some of the stuff that we're doing. Those, we obviously work with all the operations to figure out what we're doing, you know, where we should be spending capital. That, again, is out three to five years. We're looking ahead all the time. We look at two things, market share and net income. So market share is our way of measuring, are we serving the farmer? So market share goes up, we're serving the farmer. Net income is, are we serving the farmer profitably in order to reinvest for him? Because it's all about them. So in a perfect world, we're looking at three to five years. Growth goes through many phases. It's a huge team effort to get those to fruition. The board will actually get previewed. So they'll get a preview way ahead of time. Here's where we're looking at going. They'll get another one saying, here's kind of the plan. And then they'll approve the plan. So they're involved in the whole step all the way. It doesn't always work out perfectly. You get deratio. We had insurance engineers come through and... uh, Look at some of our facilities. So if you have a concrete gearing elevator in Iowa, they are probably on the last bit of their life. So we have to do a lot of things like that. And then in Mitchellville, for example, the town just grew around Bondurant. So there's outside factors, but it's always looking ahead and trying to do what's right for the farmer. That's the main goal. Yeah. Well, awesome. And and John, I would love to hear from, you know, how you and your team are really thinking about building these new facilities or upgrading these facilities, whether it's a, a new kind of greenfield site like Mitchellville, or it's adding something to a current operational facility like Brit, right? So how does you and your team really focus on, you know, what that future of tomorrow needs to be successful from us? Well, thanks, Ashley. Uh, we're the interesting crossroads out here right now a bit because As Mark mentioned, there's a challenge of infrastructure out there currently that's aging. Uh, A lot of that uh, in some areas is exhausted or near the end of its useful life. At the same time, uh, the the farmer of today and tomorrow is getting bigger and faster than ever. Mm -hmm. We see that with harvesting equipment, with combine speed, et cetera. Mark also mentioned in terms of how we approach the market access piece of of the analysis of where to deploy capital. You know, that's a really important thing for us in this state, being on all the railroads that we are and having uh, five shuttle loaders each on the 
on the, the BNCN combined and on the UP, that those uh, core uh, assets are not only performing well today, but are going to be reinvested in to perform extremely well in the, in the, in the future to come. You know, the, the future probably looks like in lieu of the past where you had grain facilities every seven, eight miles mm -hmm. spread around the country. Uh, again, with, uh, with a deployment of capital necessary to do the upgrades, uh, to stay in business in a viable way. And that means not only speed and space, but also the insights and infrastructure that we talk about uh, around here quite a bit. You're probably going to result in a, a larger spread between facilities, but they're going to be much higher caliber yeah. in terms of receiving speed and storage capacity. And uh, it might be a result where there's only two or three of these, you know, big core heavy use facilities per county mm -hmm. instead of uh, what's out there uh, today. Yeah. So two things that you guys kind of touched on. One, you both talked about concrete storage, right? So talk about because, you know, most of us drive past something like this every day or have grown up around these facilities. Just give us some background. When were, you know, most of these facilities likely built and, you know, how long have they been around? And just to give some perspective on we need to be doing some things. Well, a I'll go first, Mark. Uh, a lot of the concrete out here was built in the late 50s to a lot of it in the 60s. Mm -hmm. uh, there are some cases where there's some later concrete builds or additions that were in the 70s and 80s, but, you know, the 60s will catch most of it. Okay. And at the time uh, of the build, you know, the projected life was probably around 50 years. So we're there. You can yeah. do the math. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're there plus a few. So yeah. some of that is at a risk of failure. Yeah, and over the years, so grain just keeps pushing, constant pressure on the walls. Over the years, we've sped up the elevators. So, you know, that grain physically is coming down and stopping and jarring and pushing, and, and it just it, it kind of makes the life a little less when you do that, and there isn't a really good fix. You can go in and reline them. You lose space. But, you know, some of these... They look like huge concrete facilities. Um, you can cover up that storage in one steel band. Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, it's. I would add to that additionally, Ashley, that, you know, some of the concrete, you know, if you're at a high speed shuttle loader, you know, when that was built, it, it probably wasn't built in mind with doing 450,000 bushels in 10 hours. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, so that's the kind of demand that's put on these facilities. And you combine that with life uh, when they were built and, uh, and condition, and, and they're going to need some upgrades for sure. Yeah. And the other thing that I want you to touch on, John, because you breezed past it, and since this is technically the grain segment of the podcast, touch more on how important it is, right? For Landis, we are on five main railroads. That's huge for our business. I mean, talk about that a little bit as we think about building these new facilities and how that comes into play. Yeah, so uh, that, that's the market access piece. Um, and, you know, there's some really good examples in, in the recent last couple, three years because we've had some very dynamic regional supply and demand issues, mm -hmm. and they've been different. You know, two years ago was a substantial drought in Canada, which pulled a lot of feed grains north. Uh, so a couple of rail lines that we're on that can go north, that's not a, a natural flow for a railroad yeah. to take grain. Usually it's south and southwest, but we are on some that can go north, and those uh, facilities were very busy, and that was a good market for us. So that kind of flipped around this year, and the deficit area was in the southern plains, uh, so down into the uh, you know southwest Kansas, Texas, 
extended into uh, Mexico. So different rail lines are better positioned mm -hmm. uh, to go that direction. So having that flexibility, and you could also probably throw in a, uh, a situation that happened two years ago uh, when Canada had the short crop. Dakotas were also short. North and South Dakota both uh, had a crop problem, and the P&W export program had to reach further into the Midwest for corn uh, and beans, uh, and that came into Iowa. So, yeah. I mean, having that ability to go different directions instead of always relying on one is, is a real advantage uh, yeah. that we have. Yeah, and I think too, right, like um, as an originator, we always talk about rail markets, truck markets. And I think like for Landis, we always have been in a pretty good position to take on a few different market opportunities, right, which is is really cool. And it definitely helps us when we are talking about, you know, margins and things like that. Yeah. And even though, I mean, uh, based on the given, if you look at just the state of Iowa and a supply demand uh, table every year, you know, the exportable grain amount might vary based on the crop grown. But, uh, you know, one thing that you can envision is, you know, what if we weren't doing what we are on rail? Yeah. And and all that product was sitting here waiting to go to the same truck markets that a lot of our customers are going to. Exactly. Uh, those lines get longer. So, I mean, that, that ability to make grain disappear at the same time by adding value to it because we're selling into markets that need the grain. Yeah. Um, you know, helps create in areas a little bit more scarcity here, which kind of helps the, the truck market values. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, thinking back to when I first started originating here four years ago, um, you know, I was up at one of our facilities, Rake, right? Um, and people would ask me all the time, where does this corn go? And I would say, you know, it's going to Mexico or it's just going away. And the customer, I think, is so appreciative of that conversation because it's to your point, right? Like I think about if, if our listeners have ever seen kind of a bubble map, and I know Dustin has a really good one, so maybe we can get that put on the show notes here. But it's a bubble map that kind of shows where essentially we produce excess corn um, or we where we need corn, like you were alluding to. And so I think, you know, some of those areas, it's just cool to see the customer's face when we say, we're getting it away, right? Yeah. right? We're taking 400 bushels at a time. You can actually expand that and do a bubble map by county, you know, or, or by a by crop reporting district yeah. in Iowa. And then this past year, for example, it would have shown some pretty unique differences from east to west uh, within the state, mm -hmm. just on where the crop was really good in the east and north and where it wasn't so good in the in the west. Yeah. And uh, the, the difference in, in values, uh that followed that was was pretty amazing this year. Yeah. Well, I want to go ahead and dive into some of the capital investments that we have done previous to what we're going to talk about what's happening currently or in the future. So, Mark, I want to start before we dive into those upcoming projects. Tell us about some of the, the really cool things that we have been doing that are probably up and going now. Yes. Or the big one's probably Mitchellville. So we were looking at the Bondurant Altoona area becoming landlocked. The facilities were marked by the engineers as not safe. So that pushed our decision really quick. So we went over to Mitchellville. We built a 7,000 ton fertilizer plant. There, there's liquid there, 5 million bushels of grain storage, I believe. Um, plenty of speed. It's out in the open. It's right off I-80. So that was a big project that's up and running. Jefferson obviously had issues there, and that's totally redone. I believe they were loading a train 20,000 bushels an hour. I believe it's 80,000 bushels an hour. So that thing is ready to receive grain, <laughs> and it's 
all new. Early grain, I believe we put a two to three million bushel flat over there. Um, early is a good example where in town early, it was just old. So years ago, the, we knew it was a key location. We went and bought ground south of town or just south of early. Everything we've done in early has been mapped out for years. Um, added some piles, we added some space, we added more space, adding drying capacity. So early is one that, that's been on the books forever. Then you were at Rake. So Rake, we've put 4 million bushel flat. We've tried to clean up the traffic pattern. Rake's traffic pattern was a, was a bit messy. Added speed, added drying. Um, we just literally reinvented Rake. So yeah. Those are the older one, the bigger ones. And of course you've got, you know, fleet of pickups, you got floaters, you got all the rolling stuff we have to do. But those are the big bricks and mortar ones. Yeah, for sure. Well, and um, not to be selfish here, but if you ever get the opportunity to travel east on I-80 um, and you happen to miss the giant Mitchellville facility out there, yeah. <laughs> turn around and just take a swing through the property because it is just such a beautiful site and um, fun to originate grain there every day. Obviously, we've got P Hill that kind of bounces off of it, too. So the other thing that I want to ask you guys, and, and I'm throwing this at you, so I apologize. Um, obviously the farmer, right. And I think anybody that's building anything has felt right. These increased prices as we, as we talk about steel and, and different things needed to build these infrastructures. We've talked a lot about flats right here lately on this podcast. I'd love to hear some background on, cause I get the question every day of why didn't you put up steel? Why'd you do flat? Um, so talk our listeners through that just a little bit and, and give us some more perspective on, on what we mean when we say a flat, right? Well, yeah, technically, uh, it's a hoop building. Um, if you've seen Rake, and uh, Mark mentioned early, Mitchellville, uh, and there's uh, Yetters happening this year, uh, same size building that's at both Rake and Mitchellville. So we like that design. You know, obviously it's covered. Mm -hmm. um, it does, uh, the cents per bushel on the build cost is uh, considerably less than steel. Now we'll see what steel prices do. I mean, if they come down some, they've corrected a little bit, but if they come down some, that might narrow that gap up some. Yeah. But, you know, what we've learned, you know, Rake was our first, and uh, what we've learned is that compared to a traditional flat, which, you know, the utility of that is you, you top fill it somehow, and when it's time to empty it, you open the doors, and, and in comes the payloader, and the trucks show up, and it's kind of a one a one-trick yeah. pony, right? Uh, one thing we've learned with these uh, hoop buildings, because they have reclaims beneath them, and that's the way we're designing these, especially at locations that uh, they're shuttle loaders, is they actually can function as working space, as a bin, mm -hmm. because there's, there's you know, various sumps throughout the building. Yeah. And you're going to fill it the first time at harvest. You know, make sure you're, you're cored out accordingly as you need to as you get into winter. But then from then on, you can actually position your fill mechanism over a hole or two to actually use it as a as a bin. You can re refill what you just pulled out. We've actually been able to do a little bit of a, a blending through that, you know, as that's necessary, which work, has worked out better than we thought. Uh, so the utility value uh, compared to a traditional flat, the way we're designing is with the reclaim, um, has actually been a pleasant surprise. Good. And I mean, one thing that comes to my mind is 
it's got to be safer, right? As we think about, you know, what we used to have as flats or piles. Now, as we think about the hoop buildings, right, we're no longer taking this tarp off every time. We're no longer worried about getting rained on. You know, safety has got to be a huge thing as well. That's safety. And that's also uh, grain quality risk. Yeah. You know, losing, uh, I've, I've been around here a long time, uh, not quite as long as Mark, but long <laughs> enough to remember getting the phone calls at night in the winter, usually, when you lose a tarp in a storm and yeah. it's either raining or snowing, and it's literally a fire drill to figure out, you know, what do you retarp it? Do you try and, uh, you know, pull it up and execute it? What do you do? And that's also tough on employees, oh, really yeah. hard on employees out there. So you can see, a, a hopefully, an effort that we're making out there in the field to uh, not build any more bunkers. We're actually retiring many of these in the process of these investments we're making because, you know, the going with the bigger, faster space, but covered, and at the same time, retiring bunkers is getting us in a better balance as a company on yeah. on our on our risk profile on what kind of storage we're operating. For sure. All right. Well, let's dive into kind of the really exciting part of this podcast. I want to give our listeners a, kind of a firsthand look at what is happening you know, out in our countryside. Um, so Kind of starting with Hamlin, I mean, Mark, go ahead and tell us a little bit about what we've got going on there and what farmers can expect. So Hamlin is getting a new feed mill with our partners at AMVC. They're building the feed mill at our facility. We're adding 350,000 bushels of wet space out there. We're adding a dryer. We're doing everything we can do to keep that mill going. And Hamlin's got a big building. Mm -hmm. You've ever been up there, so... Trying to reconfigure that a little bit to, to be more suitable for the for the AMVC mill that's going to be there. So that's a that's a good project going. That'll be done this fall, I believe. Awesome. So. And I think for our listeners, if you're wondering, you know, Landis and AMVC, how does that partnership work? We have done a podcast on that before, so definitely be sure to go back and listen to, you know, kind of how we went about this relationship and, you know, just just kind of the symbiotic relationship, right, of, of working with somebody who can utilize the corn that we originate. All right, John, moving on to Yetter. Yeah, I mentioned Yetter a moment ago in uh, in getting a hoop building. Yeah. So Yetter did have a, a as many of you out there are probably aware, had a, a concrete silo failure a year ago. Fortunately, nobody was hurt, but uh, that was, you know, a sign of what we just talked about a little bit ago in terms of the concrete infrastructure at mm -hmm. some of these locations, the age of it. Yetter's a shuttle loader, so over the years there's been a lot of grain uh, come through that place and come in and go out. And so what's happening is that uh, following that incident a year ago, obviously Yetter's been on our, our list of uh, shuttle loaders uh, of the future and to maintain and make better uh, even before that happened. But that sped up the process Yeah. Uh, to be immediate, frankly. Most of the Yetter site was leveled completely mm -hmm. um, and basically starting from scratch. Okay. So there'll be a new, uh, new loadout area, uh, 4 million bushel hoop building, new receiving pit, improved traffic pattern. So Yetter is going to be a, a definitely a Cadillac location. It'll be ready for harvest this year and pretty excited about it. I love that. It's going to be a Cadillac location. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, John, I'm going to go with you again. Tell us about Brett. Yeah. So uh, Brett up north uh, on the CP rail, which was uh, recently acquired by the KCS. So we don't, uh, I'll kind of get into that for just a second. First, we don't fully know what that means for us for market access. We don't think it's a bad thing. The CP line in the past uh, worked well going north. So when I mentioned that a while ago about 
when Canada had the shortfall. Britt was very busy loading rail cars two years ago. The KCS has historically been a very good uh, railroad to be on for access and good rates to Mexico. So we, we might see in the future the development of, uh, of a loadout side of Brit, which is not, we're not doing anything there right now with track um, or loadout uh, uh, in terms of where we load trains, but that might be addressed in the future. Yeah. So what we are doing uh, right now at Brit is a significant upgrade to storage capacity with the addition of a same size as Yetter. Uh, a 4 million bushel hoop structure for corn storage. We're also adding uh, a grain dryer. We had a good dryer there already, so we're adding a second dryer, a new receiving pit. So Brit will be, it's, it's a competitive market up there, as you know, that's, mm -hmm. that's home for you uh, up there, but uh, Brit's going to be a very nice location. Yeah, well, um, I got to tell you, that one's close to my heart. And I just got another call yesterday asking what in the world we were doing up there. So <laughs> farmers are excited. And it's right on the highway. It's pretty visible. It and, is. And uh, uh, for initially, the the bunker there will stay, and, and we'll probably use it only for overflow or excess. Uh, eventually, we have uh, plans for that to go away and, and probably be another bin or two in that space. Yeah. Well, Mark, talk to us about Ardell, um, and I'd love to know specifically, this one is, is kind of unique, right, where we heard a lot from the farmer, so touch on that as well. Yeah, Ardell's one that's up in the northeast. It's kind of on the edge of our market, if you wouldn't say. Um, it was, Ardell's been slated to be closed, and then we they redid some legs and some pits a while back, and what we're doing at Ardell is we're adding a bin there. Um, we think we can capture more market share there. It also helps hold some of the pressure off going to green, which mm -hmm. we'll talk about in a little bit. But yeah, Ardale is, uh, we heard from the farmer, um, we looked at the numbers, uh, we can put a bin in there, and that should be ready for fall too. So they're adding a 7, 700,000 bushel bin, a 105 in Perfect. Ardale. So that'll help get some of that grain stopped there before it goes to some of our end users. Yeah. All right, John, tell us about green. Uh, yeah, green's an exciting one. Um, I'll date myself here a bit by, uh, <laughs> and along with Mark. Uh, we were both here when, uh, when green originally built the two bunkers on the north side, uh, there on the north side of town. Um, and uh, that was uh, pre-ethanol, so again, dating ourselves a bit. Um, and that was a real good rail line for us, the Iowa Northern, uh, mm -hmm. who were uh, very good uh, partners with uh, a lot of that corn uh, does and still does go down to Cedar, to Cedar Rapids. Um, but I remember at the time, um, you know, in town green was pretty confined, uh, not much space there, obviously in town. So traffic a little bit, uh, you know, uh, cumbersome there, uh, not the fastest dumping speed. Uh, but what really put that over the edge here more recently is that, uh, you know, the concrete was condemned. Mm -hmm. uh, and we talked about that earlier with, with old, old concrete structures. Um, so uh, green, frankly, was, was left in a, uh, a bit of a vulnerable state uh, to handle harvest last year with nothing in town. We did handle beans there at the old uh, steel site, um, but the corn uh, had one place to go, and that was out on bunkers, and there was no dryer there. And, uh, you know, we, we, we you know, paid a price for that because uh, – uh, you know, the quality got away from us a bit, but, uh, you know, we're fixing that. Mm -hmm. uh, we're not uh, going to do that again. That's hard on uh, uh, employees, customers, you name it. Uh, so we're going to, 
uh, go back to green, call it green north here. And uh, actually what we're doing is uh, we did phase one last year uh, with, a, with a bin. Yeah. So there's one bin there for harvest. And uh, phase two was going to be the addition of a, a second receiving pit, a dryer, and a wet bin. And then uh, the plan, you know, a year ago was for a phase three to follow, which would involve the, uh, the rail loadout. Mm -hmm. Well, we saw what happened to Green. Uh, that's, that's a real good uh, market for us up there. We're excited about that potential. As, as Mark mentioned, Ardale, not far away. Kind of look at that area together is, uh, is a pretty, pretty major investment. So frankly, we decided to roll up phases two and three at Green and do it all at the same time. Gotcha. So that's going to involve the rail spur out there. So we'll be able to load uh, 25 car blocks. Um, you know, if the market ever expands on that line to, to where there's a need for, uh, you know, loading more than that many cars at a time, you know, for example, if, if there's uh, someday another owner of that uh, line that, that uh, uh, requires shuttles to be, you know, for the best market access, uh, we'll react accordingly, but today that's not the case. Yeah. Um, so green, basically by, uh, by this fall, uh, it will be done. Um, all, all, all grain at green will be handed up north, and uh, it will be a, 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 a good experience. Traffic pattern is also being addressed. It's going north there to that site. Weaving around the golf course uh, where that scale was at was uh, not good. Uh, we heard from a lot of customers about that. So um, there will be actually be a second uh, access uh, out to Highway 14 okay. up there a little yeah. bit north on top of the hill. So it'll be a, a nice uh, in and out, uh, kind of a loop concept uh, for, for traffic and uh, be much cleaner and, and faster and a, and a good facility. Yeah. Well, and I hope, you know, for our listeners, the last two facilities you talked about here specifically and, and really all of them, right, are, are given to us by, you know, not only employees and, and don't only get vetted by the board, but a lot of these ideas truly start with our farmer membership, um, whether it's, you know, a whole new expansion or like you just mentioned, something as similar as, hey, your traffic pattern is not working. So we got to figure a new plan out. Um, and I think that speaks, you know, I hope our listeners and farmers members, farmer members always know, right, like call any of us and let us know if you've got an issue and we'll try to get it fixed for you. So kind of next up, Mark, if you would walk us through summers. Okay, summers. Um, so as you noticed, uh, you know, the big rail hubs, the Greens, the Brits, the Jeffersons, um, we're really um, pouring a lot of money into those. Those are the bread and butter of the grain industry. Uh, summers is north of Farnaville. Farnaville is sitting um, on the UP, and it's uh, 7 million bushels. So Summers is just north of that. Uh, we have a dryer in our system that we're not going to use anymore. So we're going to move that dryer up to Summers. Um, that allows us, there's a pile at Summers. You know, we talked about not using them, but there is a big pile at Summers that if we can dry into it, we can stop a lot of freight. A lot of times the grain goes from Summers back to Farnerville and back past Summers to the ethanol plant. So um, that's, a, that's a good example of us using the assets we have in the system and redeploying them. So that'll make summers be able to use a pile and take on more grain. So. Yeah. And then kind of moving into um, 
just I just want us to touch smidge on you know what we're doing agronomy wise at some of these facilities because that's huge for our customers as well. So we don't necessarily need to dive super deep into them, but I want to give you know our listeners kind of an overview. So kind of starting with Yara, I'll let you two decide on who wants to to touch on that. So Yara is impregnation systems at eight of our fertilizer plants. Um, we're putting those on these big fertilizer plants and allowing them to get their products into the mixers and stuff like that. We're doing, um, we're redoing our ammonia system. Yeah. So we had a lot of little um, 30,000 gallon tanks here, there. We had some 90s out in the country that, you know, you couldn't find people to run them. So we're putting fewer, bigger plants up um, and they they are all over the system. You know, they're in Brit. Uh, we redid Perry. Um, There's just a tremendous amount of those. We're also adding um, in Rake, a big liquid storage facility. Mm-hmm. So Rake will get a um, a big liquid tank and what we call hot load, where they can come in and, and load up the semis and go out to the field. Doing the same thing in Early. Um, Early's got an old plant. This will go out on the new site at Early, where everything else is be a liquid tank and a hot load facility and store bulk chemicals there. Um, probably the big one is the Boone project. Yeah. So that's a big chemical um, building we're putting up. It'll have some liquid manufacturing capabilities hooked to it. Um, it'll also have a green ammonia site just north of it. Um, what that does is that's a site that um, makes uh, energy or uh, what do you call it Um, environmentally friendly ammonia so we're putting a big solar array up there that runs that plant and so it it runs about a you can do from one to ten ton a day and this thing will make ammonia in an extremely environmentally efficient way Mm. there's just there's nothing to that thing it just sits there and runs so that's Boone all north of town on ground we just bought, right close to the elevator. Um, and that's a huge, it's a, over a football field size building up there. Very cool. Big central chemical storage. And you talked a little bit about, and I and I definitely want to touch on hot loading, right? And mm-hmm. so we've added in some of these newer facilities capacity for our customers to, from what I understand, actually have like a pin to be able to go in, you know, 24-7 to this facility and be able to, you know, really load out their own chemicals yeah long-term goal is you know uh farm equipment's getting bigger and bigger they're getting faster and faster in five days they can pretty much plant everything um so what we're doing is we have it on uh, uan now where they kind of have a card like you get fuel mm-hmm. and then go in and get their uan eventually these sites will be able to have the chemical there too so they can go in get the uan get their chemicals we don't even have to be there. They can go whenever it works for them. Yeah. Um, it sure helps us when you have a hard time finding employees out in the middle of nowhere to, to do the automation side of this. Yeah. I'm glad, I'm glad you mentioned that, actually, about hot loading and, and 24-7 loadout lanes because, um, you know, for the for the farmer of tomorrow and, and, the, and the size of scale it takes to service yeah. that, that kind of customer, that's where we're committed to go with these mm-hmm. new facilities. Mitchellville has it in their plant. I believe we have it in at one or two. Uh, Dyke might have it. Um, uh, as Mark went through those, uh, the the new liquid plant at Rake will have it as well early, 
and uh, we've got plans to to do a, a handful more of those as well. So uh, that's going to be a real great feature. Yeah, and I mean, I think all of our listeners can feel the labor the labor problem happening, right? Um, and even if you have great help, like they've got to go home at some point too <laughs> to yeah. be able to have you know time with their family. So um, no, I think you know customers at Mitchellville have definitely appreciated that uh, capability so far. So kind of switching gears here, one thing that obviously has been important to Landis um, as we think about, you know, how we've been moving forward, um, especially with infrastructure, is the 12 optimization. Um, so, John, I'd love if you can chat with us a little bit about how optimization, you know, has benefited Landis specifically as we think about capital infrastructure. Yeah, so I think optimization is, uh, you know, it's a way to, it's a way to grow uh, the, the company and grow business without necessarily having to uh, do it the old-fashioned way of, of uh, committing to, um, you know, spend a lot of money on an asset first. Yeah. Uh, in other words, we're, we're willing to seek out uh, partners that are, that are like-minded, are willing to, to look at things in a, in a somewhat new and creative way. Um, some of that involves uh, putting egos to the side. Mm-hmm. Uh, which has been a challenge, you know. I mean, everybody has them um, to a, to a point, but uh, at the end of the day, um, you know, re- retail is is tough. Uh, margins are are tight. Uh, you've got to execute uh, flawlessly, uh, and you know, we're not perfect. Uh, we're, we're getting better, but we have room to go. But the whole idea of optimization is to work with others, um, yeah. uh, right? To uh, to to bring business you know, together that, that benefits, uh, everybody, mm-hmm. um, without resulting in a duplication of assets on top of each other. Uh, particularly at, you know, we went through this list today. I mean, we didn't talk about the cost of these, but it's a lot, yeah. uh, it's a lot of dollars that, that Mark's uh, managing here. And especially with interest rates now where they're at, you've got to be pretty judicious on, where you deploy that capital and, and, and how you project those returns. And I think that just makes optimization or the ideas of how do you do things, um, you know, better together. Um, now, there'll be some areas where, you know, competition is just too tough and that won't work. Yeah. But uh, there are other areas where uh, that's not the case. And uh, it's, it's been a good pathway thus far. It's uh, it's led to uh, some good projects so far. I mean, AMVC is a good, uh, and the mill at Hamlin yeah. is a good example of that. Um, you know, we haven't talked about Stitcher. You're going to ask me about that one next, yeah. I assume. But uh, that that company that we acquired um, um, up in central Iowa uh, started out as an optimization, and and that was just being willing to talk about what we could help each other with, yeah, uh, without any precondition to it but just be open, transparent. And eventually that led to, well, maybe we just ought to talk about doing this. And yeah. it resulted in, in, a, in an acquisition. This is not a, uh, they were independent, so it was not uh, not a merger at all, just acquisition. Uh, that'll be effective September 1st. Uh, two locations, Wellsburg and uh, Wolf Creek, uh, which is uh, a new facility just north of uh, Conrad. Yeah. Uh, so two locations there. Uh, really good geography for us. It kind of bridges uh, uh, a bit of a gap there between uh, the, the the Buckeye Bradford area and Dyke, uh, mm-hmm. New Hartford. So uh, great, great production area, and uh, you know we're happy to to welcome Jr. to the team, and along with his uh, 
his folks there, and he and uh, his dad Pat, you know, built a nice business there over the years, and and uh, they're to be uh, um, rewarded for that. Yeah, good. Well, I'm excited for that opportunity, kind of right north of our Collins facility as well, which is going to be just great for those customers that are, like you said, in between. Well, Mark and John, anything I miss that you want to be sure that our listeners uh, get to know here? No, I think you covered it well. Um, you know, a lot of the investments aren't just bricks and mortar. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a lot of rolling stock we're investing in. We partner with Van Wall for our application equipment. Um, one fun thing we're doing is uh, <clears throat> we're starting in Baird, but all the fertilizer plants, you have to measure get inventory and they're really hard to measure um we have a drone company we're working with that uses what they call lidar and they actually fly the piles and they're getting our inventory really close with these drones so very cool drones you know in our internal use external use of the technology is coming is just going to be mind-boggling so it's fun to invest in that too yeah i think the only ad i would have ashley is that you know as we make this Really, the company's going through a transformation. Yeah. Um, right to, to to service that farm of tomorrow. Um, it, it is going to result in, like I said earlier, uh, fewer facilities, but they're going to be nice facilities. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, you combine that with uh, the fact that uh, you know uh, employees in, in rural areas are are relatively hard to find. Mm-hmm. Right. So I mean, it's, it's actually at the same time we're doing the right thing for the farmer of tomorrow we're actually doing the right thing for the employee of tomorrow too by by giving them a better facility to work in yeah um uh, i mean it's still gonna be hard work um but uh hopefully a little more fun (laughs) (laughs) in some of these facilities i'd give a lot of credit to our ops team because uh this is the third year in a row where they're going to be scraping every bin bottom this summer trying to get empty and that is hard work uh to do and uh similar to that we've got uh doing the same thing on the agronomy side because we got price resets coming uh, following what we've been through and um, that uh, that's taxing on, on people and we appreciate all those efforts. Yeah well I want to thank you guys for joining um, and Mark mentioned something that I wanted to be sure to mention to our listeners. Uh, he talked about drones a little bit which brings me to innovation. Uh, make sure you know to our customers we just released our innovation connector dates uh, for the summer and September so you know, connect with your account lead, um, connect with our growth solution center team to get signed up for one of those. I think you'll be really impressed with the space and and the partners that we are really partnering with. Um, and our customers that have been to these events are just, they, they really love them. So uh, be sure to take some time to do that. Um, also be sure to not only subscribe to this podcast um, on your podcast app, your listening app, but be sure to head over to YouTube um, and subscribe to our channel there. And thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you next time.